And I was at one of their uh, annual general meetings where hundreds of their clients or micro entrepreneurs had gathered. And um, they had started kind of taking 10% of the interest revenue on their loans, you know, collected from all of those loans, they took 10% and they put it into programs of outreach. Now in that meeting, one of the micro entrepreneurs stood up and said, you know what, we're paying an interest level of X. I'm so excited about the impact we're having. I'm willing to pay X plus Y on my interest on these loans. And they took a vote and it was near unanimous. Now, Seth, you, you, your, your listeners may recall, I'm an actuary. I was an actuary at John Hancock for 20 years, and I developed insurance products. And we tried to develop the best insurance products we could. But in my 20 years at John Hancock, I never had an agent or a policyholder call me up and say, Todd, we love your insurance product so much, we're willing to pay more premium for it. <laughs> and that's in effect yeah. what these micro entrepreneurs were doing. Three, two, one. Welcome to another Nerding Out with That Nerdy Catholic. I am Seth Payne, That Nerdy Catholic, and we are joined again this week with Todd Engelson. Todd Engelson is the president of Peer Servants, a, a volunteer organization working in microfinance, partnering with organizations all around the world. You can visit them at peerservants.org, and uh, we are going to be going into a number of the reasons why you should visit peerservants.org and learn more about them in this episode. If you go to last week, we talked to Todd about how he got into being an actuary, how that led him into his work with Peer Servants, and, uh, and a little bit about Peer Servants, its history, uh, its goals, its, its values especially, um, but especially uh, the work that Todd does with Peer Servants and the part that his faith plays in that work. So this week, we're going to delve deeper into microfinance, what it is, uh, the work that Peer Servants does. But first, Todd, thank you for joining us. It's good to have you here Great. again. Great to be with you, Seth. Thank you for the invitation. So before we go into deeper into what microfinance is, just give us another little recap of Peer Servants, what it is, what it does, and the mission that it has. Yeah, so Peer Servants... Our vision and mission is really to see more of the kingdom of heaven on earth. It's, it's to fulfill perhaps Jesus' vision that he captured in that prayer that he asked us to play. Uh, and the way we do that is uh, we work through a team of about 250 volunteers. They're from all over the world. They're from many different churches, many different denominations. And uh, they come alongside of 10 global partners that we have. They're in Asia, Philippines, India, Sri Lanka. They're in Eastern Europe and Moldova. They're in Africa, South Sudan, Uganda, Burundi, Zambia. And they're here in the Americas in Guatemala and Peru. And there are organizations in those countries that are autonomous, Peruvian, Filipino, whatever organizations that somehow hear about pure servants and they invite us in to come alongside of them and strengthen them so that they can serve more of the materially poor. They generally do that through a microfinance program, so it's economic empowerment of the materially poor, but many of them have gone beyond microfinance into areas of education, 
uh, youth empowerment, healthcare, food security, and they've invited us in to uh, partner with them in those areas as well. So, so those organizations currently serve tens of thousands of families, and our volunteers have the privilege, really, of coming alongside and of, of building up the capacity of that organization to hopefully serve more of the materially poor, and as much as possible, do it in a sustainable way. So yeah. that's a bit about peer servants. Yeah, and we're going to be going into a, a few of the different ways that really help uh, peer servants stand out from a lot of organ other organizations. But one of the things that we talked about last week was how easy it is, especially as someone from the West, to see a situation where we want to help the materially poor or or any other any other area that we really want to help. But our first response is to say, how can we go in and fix this situation? And this this partner model that peer servants has of not just of not being the ones that are going in and, and saying, here are all the solutions, but working side by side with organizations in all these other countries to say, how can we help? I think it is a, is a big uh, differentiator. And I think one of the big strengths uh, that peer servants has. But before we get into kind of those differentiating areas of peer servants, why don't we step back and look at microfinance and talk about where it came from? Uh, you had mentioned in the last episode the the Grameen Bank. So mm. tell us a little bit about what that is, how it started, and and how that brought microfinance into uh, more people's minds in the world. Sure, and I'm even going to take one step further back, and let's even okay. start with what's the state of our world? Uh, you know, mm. with the materially poor, and uh, and then what's the role microfinance can play in addressing it? Um, mm -hmm. We were making fantastic strides, to be honest with you, in addressing in, in addressing um, or empowering the extremely materially poor. And so, when you work in the development space. Generally, the definition of someone who is extremely materially poor is somebody who lives on a dollar and ninety cents or less a day. Uh, and just to give you some sense of context, um, you know, the average American would live on far above a hundred dollars a day. So mm -hmm. imagine trying to live on one to two percent of what you live on. Yeah, and. Uh, the unfortunate reality is um, there are hundreds of millions of people who do live on a dollar and 90 cents or less per day. COVID has only made that worse. COVID has reversed a lot of the gains that we made in, in empowering the extremely materially poor. And so that's the reality that we face. Um, the communities in which the materially poor live, it's not like there's a McDonald's down the street where they can go and just get a job. You know, there's there's lack of jobs. And so if they're going to have any kind of income generation, they're going to have to create it. Mm -hmm. And incomes, then microfinance is, is a means of being able to give them access to credit, which they don't otherwise have. No bank would you know make a loan to them. And microfinance is basically just the the, the provision of financial services on a small scale, a micro scale. It may start with credit or a loan, but it quickly expands to things that the materially poor value even more than a loan, which is like savings, micro savings, maybe micro insurance, 
There's even micro pensions these days. And so microfinance has really expanded from what started with a micro loan. Mm -hmm. And um, Muhammad Yunus and the folks at uh, the Grameen Bank in Bangladesh were really kind of the, the pioneers in this space because they had to figure out how do we go um, manage risk among the materially poor. And it's much different than you would do in a bank in North America making a loan to somebody who's mm -hmm. relatively materially non-poor. Um, here in this part of the world, we value that transaction. We value our, you know, our credit rating. We value all these other things that would make us say, I want to make sure I repay this loan. Mm -hmm. But in much of the rest of the world, they value relationship and they don't have any financial collateral to offer you. Um, and so Muhammad Yunus and the folks there just did a fantastic job of finding a way to take advantage of their social collateral and, uh, and uh, start microfinance more kind of with group lending than individual lending. And, and so they developed a model that uh, many organizations have used around the world to make capital available to the materially poor so they can go create those jobs, so they can go beyond living a dollar or two per day and uh, pursue their own dreams. And it's been a, it's been a powerful model. It has had its abuses. It has had some who've come in and taken advantage of it and taken advantage of the poor. But I, uh, I'm still a, a strong defender of microfinance as potentially a very powerful tool for the poor to pursue their dreams. Back in uh, 2001, it was my first uh, involvement in peer servants. I was going to uh, Grace Chapel Church in, uh, in Massachusetts, and it was a summer trip we took. I think there were 40 people. It was a, it was a very large group, but we went. Uh, Todd led this group to uh, Joss, Nigeria, to work with the partner there. And I remember sitting in this group with a, a large number of, uh, of entrepreneurs and hearing a, a very short history lesson of missions in, in Nigeria. And I know this is not, this is, there's so many complicated uh, aspects to this story, but it hit me as such a powerful story. And you know, really the, the, the summary, very short summary of missions in Nigeria was that decades of missionaries would go to Nigeria and say, we're here to help and they just kept giving and giving. And then, you know, in a spirit of trying to be loving, trying to show the love of Christ, they said, we don't want anything. We don't expect anything back from you. And even though that came from an, a, a wonderful spirit of love, it had done a lot of damage to, to groups of people in Nigeria. And when this group in Nigeria approached peer servants and said, we want to start this partnership, we want to start being able to give out loans to people and help them build their businesses, help them become stronger economically, there was some pushback. And people would say, well, people have come and given us stuff for so many years, and you're expecting us to pay you back? And not only that, you're expecting us to give you interest back. And there was a lot of pushback. But then when they realized that building their businesses, becoming stronger economically, they could they could become like the missionaries that came and say, you know what, we want to help others. We want to be able to give to our bank. You know, the, the, the story you shared last week, Todd, of the, the chicken farmer who got the chickens to be able to sell the eggs. And the first eggs that she got, 
she ran and she gave to her pastor. There's such a, I think the word empowerment is overused a lot of times, but the, the so many stories that I've heard of entrepreneurs around the world, that, that really is the word that comes to my mind is, is empowerment. In fact, a couple of other stories related to that experience, Seth, that are coming to mind. First of all, the founder of that organization in Nigeria said to me, he was a pastor. He was a pastor of a very large denomination in that part of the world. And um, he said to me, Todd, for all my life, I've been preaching to people to give, mm. but I've never empowered them to be able to give. And mm. so that really was the, the vision he had for starting this organization with which we were partnering. And I was at one of their uh, annual general meetings where hundreds of their clients or micro entrepreneurs had gathered. And um, they had started kind of taking 10% of the interest revenue on their loans, you know, collected from all of those loans. They took 10% and they put it into programs of outreach, programs to go bless people beyond the micro entrepreneurs. And so they were talking about uh, and reporting on how, you know, they, this 10% had really had an impact. Now, in that meeting, one of the micro-entrepreneurs stood up and said, you know what, we're paying an interest level of X. I'm so excited about the impact we're having, I'm willing to pay X plus Y on my interest on these loans. And they took a vote and it was near unanimous that these micro-entrepreneurs said, were we even willing to pay more interest so we can have more impact out in the community? Now, Seth, you, you, your, your listeners may recall, I'm an actuary. I was an actuary at John Hancock for 20 years, and I developed insurance products, and we tried to develop the best insurance products we could. But in my 20 years at John Hancock, I never had an agent or a policyholder call me up and say, Todd, we love your insurance product so much, we're willing to pay more premium for it. <laughs> and that's, in effect, yeah. what these micro-entrepreneurs were doing. And that's transformation. That's empowerment when people who have longed to be able to, to go and bless others are now in a position where they can do so. And they're saying, we're even willing to pay more to do it. That joy they had from being able to, that's what will lead to lasting, sustainable community transformation. And um, it really starts with what's your vision? Because I would have never come up with that idea of 10% using 10% to go do something beyond them. I thought they're the ones who needed, you know, the help. Yeah. But their vision was, no, we can go and even help others. And um, so, yeah, coming back to that question that Jesus often asked, kind of, what's your vision? What do you want me to do? That's very, very important when you work among the materially poor. Last week, we talked about the, the values of peer servants and the, and the value of reciprocity. And how much we can learn from our our brothers and sisters around the world, and you know that that value of being able to bless others, the joy, like you were saying about the chicken farmer, of mm -hmm. wanting to the first eggs that she got, she wanted to give to her pastor. The joy of being able to to bless others, and that is something that is so easy for us to either forget or just kind of gloss over and say, yeah, I can help people. But we are so, we are so blessed materially here in, mm -hmm. in the West. And that is often, probably too often, a secondary thought of how can we bless others. 
And mm-hmm. so to be able to to meet people that that is the first response is they they say now I have more money how can I bless others? Exactly. And I think I I am so grateful for you and and hundreds of others who've been volunteers in peer servants. Um, I love the attitude they come with. They want to give. They want to make a difference in the world. And that's mm-hmm. that's great. That's wonderful. But Seth, as you know, one of the first things we have to teach our volunteers and peer servants is if you really want to give, learn how to receive. Mm-hmm. Learn how to step into the presence of somebody the world may look at and say, oh, this is a very poor woman in Africa. But look at her the way God looks at her and the mm-hmm. assets that she has and, and the richness in her life that she has that often we lack. And um, if you can learn to step into her presence and say, I'm actually here as much to receive what God's given you for me, as much as to give to you what God may have given me for you, um, then you've left that woman empowered. You've left that woman enriched. Mm -hmm. Um, You may not leave that much money at her door, but you've left her enriched. Whereas Mm -hmm. you could leave a million dollars at her door but if you step in with a position of, oh, I'm here for you, you've really left her impoverished in spirit. And um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think one of the beauties of, of the model that that we've learned to, ad- uh, to adopt and, and pursue is one where you really start with the vision of the micro-entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And we even start in our partnership model because we're partnering with a local entity that's doing the micro-lending. We are not doing the micro-lending. And so uh, it's, it's really even important that Pure Servants as an organization starts with an invitation from that local organization to say, here's our vision for our own community. Pure mm-hmm. Servants, we'd like to invite you in to help us um, extend more of this kingdom into our community. And so that's the only way we partner these days is it starts with an invitation uh, from a local autonomous organization that somehow hears about us and invites us in to work with them. Yeah, there, there's a there's a level of of respect there. That these are not just these are not just people that we need to help, but these are people that have their own their own dreams, their own goals, and uh, and then you know they they just lack the capital. They don't. It's not that they lack the the vision. Yeah, the the thing that that I have learned over and over again, and I I have had the 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 opportunity to visit a number of uh, the peer servants partners uh, and even spend a year with uh, with the partner in Peru. But is the the entrepreneurial spirit is so strong in so much of the world, and you know here in America. We have so many large corporations that it really is this, it's an assumption of most people that you're going to grow up, go to school, go to college, you know, learn some field, some trade, uh, some skill, and then you're going to go work for some large company. And, and it's getting more and more, uh, I don't want to say rare, but it, it feels more strange now. When people say, "I'm going to learn all this stuff and then I'm going to go start something on my own," mm-hmm. but as you said, in in most of the world there isn't a a McDonald's down the street, and so if someone wants to become 
self-sufficient materially that they just need to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. And and the, the number of ideas that people have that people have to be able to do that is it, it, it inspires me. You know, successful microfinance uh, really kind of follows a model Jesus gave us of how we're going to see more of the kingdom come. And that is we have to find those who can take two and bring back four. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps those who can take five and bring back ten. Uh, we have to be careful not to put all of our resources, our capital, in those who will take one and just go dig it, uh, you know, put it in the ground and, and, and not do much with it. And so um, the reality is some people are made to be micro-entrepreneurs and some people aren't. Some people just need mm-hmm. a job. And yeah. uh, so the, the, the challenge and the opportunity in microfinance is how do we go find the true entrepreneurs who can take two yeah. and bring back four or five and bring back 10 and go create the jobs that many of yeah. the people in their community need. That makes me think of one of the, the stories that has been told many times over the years, and I'm, I'm not remembering the man's name uh, in Moldova who had the, the, the sausage. Vasily. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Vasily. Mm-hmm. So t- tell us about, about his story. That's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> so Vasily um, lived in Moldova, a small village in Moldova. Moldova, for those of you who may not be familiar, is a former Soviet republic in between uh, Romania and Ukraine. And Vasily uh, and his wife were both unemployed. Um, and you know they had really, I would say, suffered a bit of the scars of the Soviet era that uh, basically said government comes in and provides, you know, employment or, you know, economic opportunity to you. The idea of entrepreneurialism was much less well-grounded in Moldova than it is in many other parts of the world, at least at the time. Well, um, Vasily's wife actually started a business and she took a $100 microloan just to create these beautiful torts that you'll see in Eastern Europe, these multi-layered cakes for different events and whatnot in her community. And she made a beautiful product, but uh, there weren't a lot of opportunities to sell those. So the business itself didn't do that well, but something happened through that. And that is Vasily saw that he could do or they could do business. And so he then took out a $300 microloan to buy some pigs and to butcher them and to sell the pork in the market. He started with that. And over time, you know, he repaid that $300 loan. He got access to larger and larger loans. And over time, he transitioned that, that business into a sausage making business where he eventually got access to thousands of dollars of capital where he could build that business. And over time, he built that business to employ more than a couple of dozen of people who were just you know, very much in need of jobs. He looked into his community and he saw a lot of orphanages, orphanages where kids weren't getting access to protein and things like that in their diet. So he decided to donate sausages to those orphanages. And uh, over time, even in more recent years, he's actually opened up shops where he is retailing his own uh, sausage and other products. Um, so Vasily is a real success story of somebody who went from unemployed and even questioning what he could really do to by just starting small and growing, being able to create jobs that were very much needed in Moldova and then even bless people beyond his employees 
um, through the provision of sausage for, for some of the orphanages that were opened at the time in Moldova. So um, just one story of many that can be told of somebody who had a dream and was able to pursue it, given access to capital at uh, relatively affordable rates and, um, you know, be able to do, to bring back, you know, he was one who got five and brought back 10 or probably mm -hmm. took 25 yeah. and brought back 50. Yeah. 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 I love that, 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 yeah, that there aren't always the jobs there. There aren't always jobs in the neighborhood, but as you said, with Vasily and so many others, that if they just had access to the capital, first they would become successful themselves, but then they would get to the point where they would be able to employ others. And so really building up, um, building up a community. And as you said before, that the concern of so many of these people is not just their own success, but the success of their, their community. Exactly. And, and so both in ways that they can give and bless, but also in the fact that they can hire others to really build up their community. It humbles me when I hear these stories to say, to hear that they, like we've said a few times already, what is our first response? Us as, as someone from the West, when we have success, like, well, that's great. How can I be more successful? And one of the lessons that, that you have said you are always learning and I'm always learning, what should our real response be? How can we turn around and try and bless others with what we have been blessed with? Mm -hmm. Well, going from that, talk a little bit more. You've mentioned a few times now the kingdom, you know, talking about the the passages where Jesus talks about the kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand, you know, the different parables that he uses talking about the kingdom. And as you've talked about, the kingdom is not just a spiritual reality, but is a spiritual and social and economic reality. So talk a little bit about how you see that worked out in, in the lives of these entrepreneurs and in the partners that Peer Servants works with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's start with the partners and then we'll go to the micro entrepreneurs. And I, I want to step back to kind of the topic of economics in general. If you ever took an economics course, you know, kind of the basic principle is there are limited resources and we have to figure out how best to allocate them. And certainly that's true in kind of the secular sense of economics. But my experience is kingdom economics kind of blows that away. <laughs> because uh, certainly something we've learned through our partner network is that when each of those partners that we work with, these again are autonomous organizations in those 10 different countries, they all have different strengths. And I found time and time again that when we all bring to the table kind of what it is God's given us, we all go away from that table with more than we came with. Now that again goes counter to that basic concept of economics, you know, that somehow there is this mystical multiplier that happened that we all went away enriched. And uh, I, if anyone can ever capture this in a scholarly paper or principle, they're gonna be getting the, you know, the Nobel Prize for economics someday because it goes beyond uh, kind of what we understand in our secular sense of economics. And so, so, um, so there's this idea of kingdom economics is one where 
maybe there aren't as much limited resources as we think. Maybe we can actually grow this pie to become bigger and bigger and bigger. And so that more and more people can have a slice of that pie. If we all just bring what it is that God's given us to contribute towards it. And so to the micro entrepreneurs, you know, we see them time and time again, taking something very small, um, working with it, showing that they can be faithful in, 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 in um, getting and using and repaying a small microloan. And if I can just add, not only is there not a McDonald's down the street for them, there's not a bank down the street where they can just go mm-hmm. and get money from. So that's a reality that we need to appreciate is that the materially poor have generally lacked access to credit or to other things that we have generally you know, good access to here. But as they get that, they can then go and bless others. And Seth, as you've, if you, as you've mentioned before, they really have this desire to do that. That's one of the mm-hmm. first things they want to do is when they are blessed is to be able to go bless others. And so this economic principle just kind of continues to grow and, and, and many others become blessed through it. It's a ripple effect, really, um, of, of how you can touch one person's life, but then have them go touch so many other people's lives, whether it's the employees that they can hire and the, the families of those employees, um, whether it's the children they can now educate and you know send to a university someday that they weren't able to attend. So many of our micro entrepreneurs weren't able to attend or finish even their secondary school because of the reality of the lives that they faced. And they, and they had to just go out and earn income. But many of those people who couldn't finish secondary school themselves are sending their children to university by having access to credit, being able to provide for their families. And so their children hopefully are gonna be ones who don't have to come back and look for a microloan. They're gonna be able to go out there and over a generation transform their nation into um, a place that can have more of a middle income level of economy. And so again, you just see you know, how um, this kingdom economics principle works you know, the, the pie just keeps growing bigger and bigger and, uh, everyone eventually gets enough from that pie. Yeah. I, I had, uh, it makes me think of this, this story of an entrepreneur that I, um, that I met and, uh, when I was living in Peru, worked with a group of entrepreneurs doing, um, some basic training. This was a, a group of entrepreneurs. I was partnering them uh, 10 entrepreneurs with a class at Messiah College where, where I got my undergraduate degree. They were doing a class in, um, in it was uh, Latin American businesses, you know, looking at business in Latin America. And so group of 20 students were partnered with uh, 10 entrepreneurs. And so I met with the entrepreneurs once a week for two hours. The first hour they spent with, with the students at Messiah and helping them with their project, talking about their business, sharing their experiences, you know, the the good and the bad of their of the business that they run. Um, but then the second half, the second hour, uh, because I want I wanted there to be more value for the entrepreneurs in this in this experience, we had training. So you know how to use you know email, the internet, web browsers, word processors, um, spreadsheets, and so. Uh, I, I wanted to have some impact in their lives in that. And so 
the 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 class went through. The entrepreneurs had a, a, a wonderful experience. The students had an amazing experience, um, and then and then it ended, and I left. I came back a year later for another three month stint in Peru, and one of the entrepreneurs that was there in that group, when he was there, he owned a taxi, and that's what he got with his loan. And so he drove a taxi, but he also you know drove tourists around, and he gave them tours of the area. That was his business. Well. He volunteered for this uh, for this uh, experience with me and with the students, and with what he learned about how to use the internet, how to use email, and how to use computers, he decided to sell his taxi and go and get a, a, a bigger loan. He got ten computers, and he was on the outskirts of Cusco, so not in the middle of the city, right on the edge of the city, and he opened up his own internet cafe. And and so uh, he was able to bless his family because he was able to have this bigger business. He was able to bless his community because in the area that he was in, there weren't a lot of internet cafes. You know, down you know, closer to the center of Cusco, internet cafes were you know a few every block, but where he was, there were very few internet cafes. So he was able to bless his community because he gave them access to the internet that he didn't have before, and uh, and. Yeah, it really hit me that this this is his vision of how to to take what he's learned, to take access to the capital that he didn't have before, and really you know do something that made a huge impact. Mm -hmm. And and Seth, you know that's an exciting story, and those stories can just be told over and over again. You know of yeah. of uh, getting capital into the hands of somebody who couldn't access it otherwise. A, a quick story of a woman named Florence in northern Uganda, who was widowed actually and had five children. Now, northern Uganda is a place where about 75% or more of the people live on $2 or less a day. It's a hard place mm -hmm. as, as uh, with, a, with, a, with both spouses working to you know, provide for the families, let alone to be now widowed and have five children. But, uh, but Florence took some microloans and started actually a secondhand clothing business. And these are big in some parts of, uh, of Africa and other places where mm -hmm. you know, take secondhand clothes and make them available. And so she grew that business, had a fantastic location, grew the business. And over time, she was able to generate sufficient income, not only for her family, but actually to take care of a number of children who had been orphaned by AIDS. And, uh, you know, just to see the, the love of this woman for these children um, and, uh, you know, the impact that that made in her life to be able to, you know, provide for them was, was, was mm -hmm. huge. And so those kinds of stories can just be told time and time again. Um, and, you know, there's still small amounts, maybe by our American standards, but, mm -hmm. um, but there, there, they, there are ways that they can be used to, to bring great returns you know, for that mm -hmm. kingdom, that, that abundant life that Jesus really wants all of us to experience. So we, we touched a little bit about this in the last video, but talk a little bit about what someone gets as a volunteer. You mm -hmm. know, you, you said, you know, wanting to go in, if you know, being a volunteer and going and helping others, but there are a lot of things that someone will get in return in volunteering for peer servants. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I'm going to start kind of with what you have to offer and then what you get. 
yeah. um, because our volunteers will come in and they've got skills in areas A, B, C, D, E, F. You go in many, many different skills. And, uh, and so, you know, your background may be in finance, it may be in marketing, it may be in IT, as Seth says, it may be in a number of different areas that can be used to um, somehow come alongside of one of those institutions that's doing the micro lending, that's our partner, and strengthen it. And so you would be part of a country team, Team Uganda, Team Peru, whatever it may be, a team that meets monthly, virtually for about an hour via Zoom, get an update on what's happening with the partner and you provide an update of, of your role in serving that partner in some way. And so that's what you would bring as a volunteer. Um, what you receive uh, really kind of comes back to how, how much you want to invest in it as, as with so many things. At the very least, what you're gonna receive is a really neat community to be a part of community of other volunteers, you know, all of whom want to go make the world a much better place. And that's just a neat group to kind of be a part of. But especially if, if you're able to go to the country, uh, you're going to meet some, some people who will change your life, literally, because you're going to meet some real passionate people who um, at, the, at the partner level, at the staff level, at the board level of our partners, who um, have really given up their lives to to extend more of this kingdom to the materially poor. But then especially as you meet the clients or the micro entrepreneurs, um, you're just gonna, you're gonna be blown away by them and, uh, and, and their struggles. You know, many of them face huge struggles, but they persevere, they overcome. I mean, many of our volunteers have talked about how they can overcome some of the challenges in their own lives just by being inspired by seeing the people overcome their own challenges. My hope and prayer is that you will go back into your workplace with some ideas of ways you can better serve your workplace by, by things you learned in peer servants. And we've had a lot of our volunteers even very practically say that, especially in this time of COVID. Peer servants uh, was using Zoom and all these applications long before then. So we've had a few volunteers come back and say, you know, I took the lead in my company when we had to go pivot to COVID because I knew that much better than many of uh, others mm. did. So I'm hoping that, you know, that even gives you something you can come back and enrich your workplace here based on things you learned through this. Um, we certainly bring more of the material. That's what God's given us in this part of the world to bless others. But what you're going to gain when you come alongside of Peruvians, Filipinos, Ugandans, and others is um, you're going to become much more enriched in the spiritual and the social aspects of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. That relationship with God becoming much more of an intimate one, much more where you embrace your dependence on him. Um, because you realize the task he's given us is to extend the kingdom of heaven to earth. And that's a huge task that goes far beyond any of us. We can choose to kind of just focus on ourselves and you know not have to be too dependent on God. Or we can embrace that mission he's given all of us and have to be utterly dependent on him to see it reality, yeah. to see it become reality. So that spiritual realm and the social realm, embracing our interdependence on each other and uh, having a richness in life that comes from what we can learn from others around the world of the, of the social fabric that they have, that we can have here too if we're just willing to kind of reach out and be concerned more about each other. 
one of my stories that I have as far as what we can offer. This was the going back to that first trip to Nigeria in uh, in 2001. You know, I went thinking this would be a, a neat experience. I would be able to travel to another country, but thinking about what I had to offer, you know, I I I didn't really think I had much to offer. I thought I was going for a trip and, you know, I, I just prayed, you know, God, if there's any way you can use me, you know, use me. And so we went to Nigeria to visit the, the partner there. And when we got there, there was one other guy in our group, uh, Rod and I, and we were both uh, working in, in IT and programming and stuff. And uh, we get to this office and, and they 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 looked at us like, oh, you, you, you work with computers. And it's like, well, yeah. And they said, well, we're having a lot of issues with our network in the office and we have a network printer that we can't print to. And there are a couple of us that are having problems with, with our computers. And so is there anything you can do? And so we said, yes. And so we set up camp in, in the office, I think for at least two days. And, uh, and, you know, working with them, we were able to, you know, get through, I think all the, the issues, but it was, it was, the first time that opened my eyes to to missionary work being more than just, okay, let's go to another country and, and tell people about Jesus. Mm-hmm. That um, that through organizations like Peer Servants, it doesn't matter what gifts and skills you have. You know, God gave you those to, to bless others. And, you know, there are going to be opportunities if you if you look for them. To find where where God can use your skills to help others, um, and uh, and as far as as far as what you get back, you know, I will just have to echo everything that Todd said. I have been blessed over and over again by the lives of the people that I met, um, especially in Peru. Uh, I've been to Peru a number of times, and that is where my heart really is now. Uh, I I cannot wait. In uh, hopefully in the next year or two. I'm going to be able to bring my family down to Peru because you know they haven't been yet, and uh, and I, I told um, my girls I said I cannot wait for Pastor Americo and Mary to meet you because they're gonna they're gonna be so great so happy to be able to 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 meet my family, um, but to be able to work with them and see, as you said, this this focus on community and this love for all of those in your community and and really working to bring that back into into my life and into my heart and to you know I remember one time when I was down in Peru and I was on you know one of the little combi buses and everyone was crowded together and that's just what you did you just crowded in these little buses and I got back to I think it was the Newark airport and I heard people complaining on the little bus going from one terminal to the next. And it's like, oh, you're, you're, you're too close to me. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. It, it just opened my eyes to, to how much we take for granted in here, here in America and how little we focus on our community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the things that we can learn from, from our brothers and sisters around the world is, is great. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think, I think one of the things you also, maybe a couple things I've learned. One is it's been such a blessing to see the world a little more the way God sees it than just the way mm-hmm. I see it, you know, and it's, 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 it's a fantastic world, you know, out there. And then two, um, 
just to value what others bring you know to the table um to to accomplish this mission we've been given and to i think i think one of the things i've come to appreciate is how much god values two things one is unity and mm-hmm. two is shalom that peace you know he he went so to such great extremes for us and others to experience that and and we need to be much more focused on what we have in common than what differentiates us and i think that's a message very very relevant to our country of the united states today is we have so much in common and yet we're allowing the little things you know to to separate us and when in an organization like fair servants where you actually come together with people who are in some ways much different from you different nationality maybe a different church mm-hmm. they go to different socioeconomic status but you come around a unified purpose of let's go extend the kingdom together then actually you come to appreciate much more what you have in common than yeah. what differentiates you and uh, it just creates a rich environment to be a part of that yeah. that we'd love to bring back to this country and figure out how can we create a little more of that you know united we stand among us yes well and and then there, there's a one other thing that unites all of us that I've learned, especially at all the conferences, is soccer. <laughs> because to see people from all around the world, I mean, just just as kind of a tangible idea, the tam- tangible way to see this unity. I, I the, those soccer games, I love them, where you see people from all over the world, and you know some of them don't even speak the same language, but you you put them on a field. And everyone can play a game of soccer together, or football, as most people call it. That's true, Seth. But I will say too, some people bring such passion to football that <laughs> that is one of the times I have to pray the hardest that unity will be maintained is on that soccer field. So, uh, but yeah, we've had some wonderful times together, and uh, we would love for people to join us and, and be a part of that. Yeah. Well, as uh, as Todd talked about, the things that you can bring to and things you can get from. Uh, this partnership with uh, Peer Servants and all of the Peer Servants partners. Uh, if you are interested in learning more about Peer Servants, you can head over to peerservants.org. Uh, Todd, thank you again for uh, this great conversation, uh, bringing back wonderful memories. Um, I would highly recommend you uh, to go and check out Peer Servants. It's a wonderful organization doing wonderful work, a wonderful group of people. Uh, I can't say the word uh, wonderful enough. Uh, in describing it. Uh, Todd, it's, uh, I've been blessed by you and all the, the work that you have done and really leading and guiding peer servants and all the vol- volunteers and uh, and your humility and being able to uh, work with all these organizations around the world as as equals and really working hard to, to push aside that that desire that so easily comes to say, I just want to step in and fix things. Mm. But to really say, I want to work with you and I want to help you and I want you to help me. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Seth. Thank you for this opportunity to be together. It's a, it's a privilege for me to be here together with you. And I really thank God for you and the impact he's had in and through you uh, in the lives of many others. Too. So thank you. All right. Well, just remind you again, go to peerservants.org to learn more about peer servants. And thank you for joining us today, Todd. And thank you for joining us. Uh, Be sure to come back next week to learn more about how 
We are using our brains and our hearts to bless the world and, uh, and see all the ways that God is using so many people throughout the world, not just in, uh, in sharing Jesus' love, but sharing um, just the skills that God has given each one of us. I also want to remind you to check out Nerdy Catholic Tees. Nerdy Catholic Tees is the other little venture of the Nerdy Catholic little group, kingdom, whatever you call it here. You can check out, uh, as I said, I have this little cute shirt of the, the TARDIS and um, the last battle from C.S. Lewis. But there are lots of other designs you can get there. If you use the coupon code that nerdy Catholic, you will get 10% off of your order. So check out nerdycatholictees.com and be sure to come back next week. I'll see you again. God bless. System shut down.